Thanks for listening to the How Not to Think podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, welcoming you to the show that considers topics like cognitive bias, binary thinking, stereotypes, all of which influence how we think. If you want to delve deeper into this topic, please check out my book, I Think, Therefore I'm Wrong, available at Amazon, and my author page there, Dr. Howard J. Rankin, where you'll find several other books of mine, and you can also check out my website at drhowardjrankin.com. Thank you. Today's guests on How Not to Think are Brian Moran and Michael Lennington. They have a new book out called Uncommon Accountability, which we will talk about. And they are experts with a lot of experience in execution. Now, when I say that, I mean hiring squads, not firing squads. They help companies actually get the most, the greatest productivity, out of their workforce. Uh, And this is going to be valuable not just for leaders and corporate leaders, but for any of us who really want to make the the best use of the time that we have on this planet. So this is going to be really, uh, really, really valuable. Thank you guys for coming along. Um, Brian, tell us just a little bit about your background and, and how you got to be into this. And then we'll ask Michael the same question. Sure. Happy to, you know, I, I started out, um, start, started working really young, had a paper route, which uh, I know a lot of folks don't even know what that is, but uh, actually um, paid my way through college working at UPS. And um, they had offered me an opportunity to move into part-time supervision and supervise the operation I was a part of. And initially I wasn't going to take that, but because I was getting a degree in physiology to be a strength coach, but I ended up taking the job, worked for a great guy, really got switched on to business. And, and this guy was a uh, very much a coach, which was not part of the landscape back then. You know, this was a thousand years ago and, and no one, that term was never even used. No one thought of it that way, but that's, that's how he, that's how he operated. And so I learned a ton from him. I uh, moved from Michigan to Southern Cal, got him with PepsiCo. Um, from there, joined a consulting firm. That's where Michael and I met. Um, really great opportunities with the consulting firm because they were one of the pioneers in recognizing the impact culture had on performance and started to develop processes to, to shape culture and change culture. Got an offer from one of the clients there as vice president of sales and service, and then eventually went out on my own, have a number of different businesses, um, but the one that Michael and I work in, we've been doing this for, I don't know, close to 20 years now. Makes me feel old when I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but nice. we've, we've had the great fortune of working in just about every industry at just about every level and helping, helping them improve performance. So, Excellent. And Michael, we know the last part of your story, but we don't know <laughs> the first part. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my story is, is dissimilar to Brian's in a sense in that I was – um, didn't have a choice about getting a, a, a paper delivery route. I uh, actually was in forced labor. Um, we had a Christmas tree farm and uh, in the summers I'd have to shear Christmas trees and in the fall we'd have to cut them and, and drag them out and, and load them onto trains. And I don't know why um, they, I didn't tell my family I was doing a podcast. So I was just having to walk in there. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, so we, so, you know, I, I learned pretty early on that, that work like that was not my favorite pastime. Um, went to college, got a degree in fisheries and wildlife management. I still wanted to work outdoors. 
Um, but the only job offer I had when I graduated was a, an offer to work on a Russian fishing trawler off the coast, U.S. West Coast, um, counting their fish. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound either safe or exciting. So um, I, I got into banking. And um, as I got into banking, I, I moved into an internal consulting group inside the bank. And I really liked consulting um, a lot. I found that that was something I really enjoyed doing. It's problem solving and helping people accomplish more and, and, and uh, do better. And um, I decided to go back and get a business degree because while having a degree in fisheries and wildlife management was helpful from a systems thinking perspective, it really is only useful in terms of getting um, you know, Snickers at a, at a cocktail party. So I figured I'd go um, get a real degree and I got a, a master's uh, in business administration. And then from there, I, I really just have been in consulting most of my adult life. Um, started working uh, in uh, a small consulting firm where I met Brian. Uh, they were bought by Arthur Anderson, went to Europe with Arthur Anderson, spent a few years there. Then Arthur Anderson uh, did some things that got them in some significant trouble. I came back, Brian and I re-met. And um, Brian and I, uh, I guess a little bit more than 20, I hate to say this, Brian, it was slightly more than 20 years ago. Today. I know, just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like it, though, it does. And uh, we, we together built this concept called the 12-week year, um, which was how we helped our clients to execute most effectively. One of the disciplines in that particular book was accountability. And we, we've always had a different take on what it meant. Um, and when we do the trainings, you know, we, we were surprised at how, how revolutionary that idea was for a lot of the people we were working with, especially the leaders. And um, we decided to write a book about it. And that's where we, we ended up with the uncommon accountability. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. And so this raises many issues, I think, um, Brian, in terms of how people and organizations actually think about maximizing their time and their talent. Um, the assumption is, I'm sure it's a wrong one, that well, they would do that naturally, but clearly they don't. Yeah. Uh, and your experience shows that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one, one of the mistakes every organization makes that we've ever worked with is that they've, you know, because they're, they're annualized, they're doing annual plans, even if they're public and they're running quarterly numbers, you know, quarters part of a whole and, and those plans are overwhelming, right? There's too much in them. People are overwhelmed. They're not, they're not tactical to begin with. They're conceptual. So it's really difficult to get people to take ownership of concepts versus tactics. And so, um, they're really not set up to get the most out of their people in terms of the processes and the structures they have. And then when you talk about how not to think, how they think about accountability is like just, just you know, poison on top of all of that, to be honest with you. And, and it really holds the, the individuals back from performing at their best, ultimately collectively the team from performing at their best as well. Hmm. And, and, you know, that sounds surprising, but when you think about it, it isn't, uh, which is why there's a need for what you guys do. Um, Michael, when you go into these organizations and, you know, point this out to people, what's their, what's their reaction? I'm sure there's a range, but is there a typical yeah, reaction? There's a range. And I, and I think um, there's an attractiveness to the idea. I mean, people are attracted to the idea because um, there's a lot of carnage and in um, the way that people apply consequences and, and lead people, um, calling it accountability, but actually applying consequences, and so there's a, there's an attractiveness to the idea because it, it's it's much more it places the responsibility for success and, and execution on the on the performer, which is where it belongs, and not on the leader. Um, and it also avoids that kind of damaged relationship stuff that can go on when you when you apply consequences to change performance. So there's an attractiveness to it. However, consequences also work. 
Um, they can they can change behavior very quickly. Um, you can get people to stop doing things pretty quickly. You can get them to to to, to do give you discretionary effort if you apply positive consequences, and and they work. So um, there's some upside, some short term upside to consequences, a long term downside. And so um, people are hesitant to give up the short term for the long term. Yeah, I'm sure there's some reluctance and resistance. There always is to change. Um, I was interested in your 12 week year concept and, and book. Um, and and am I, I'm right, I'm sure, in assuming that these principles could be applied really to anyone. I mean, obviously, you're geared to helping organizations, but any individual could look at this, I presume, and take it and get more out of their time and be more productive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Accountability is first and foremost, an individual choice. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and uh, in the book, we talk about how most people experience accountability as, as consequences, as negative consequences. And so over time, there becomes this sort of um, this understanding that accountability is negative consequences. And, and, you know, who wants some of that, right? Give me some right. more of that. But, but yet I think in, also intuitively, People know that to be successful, you've got to be accountable. So there's this, right, this disconnect on this whole concept. And, and so when we really redefined accountability, not as consequences, but as ownership, it became a game changer for our clients, how they, mm -hmm. right, how they think, how not mm -hmm. to think, how to shift mm -hmm. from thinking about accountability as consequences. As Michael said, consequences play a role, they shape behavior, but, um, but it's not accountability and really understanding accountability as, as ownership based on free will choice um, changes everything as an individual and as a leader. Right. So I, um, where, where, you know, how not to think the, the accountability's consequences tends to lead me to victim thinking, whereas ownership leads me to, um, to accountable thinking and um, you know, this uncommon notion of what it, what I can be. Um, and it's more future focused, right? Where, where a victim mindset is kind of looking back and trying to shift blame. Uh, mm. a, an uncommon accountable mindset is really about, we look back to learn because we can't change the future. Um, and then we, we change and, the future. Well, we can't change the past, I mean, but then we can affect the future by what we've learned and, and the choices we make in the future. So it absolutely is a concept for the individual. And for anyone leading a team, whether you're a leader in your home, your community, mm -hmm. you're leading your clients, you're leading in your place of worship, wherever that is, or in business. So, yeah, accountability should be empowering, not uh, not discouraging, right? Exactly. Um, and, it, and, and then that becomes internal, not external, something that you embrace, not something that's forced on you. Am I right about that, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. That internal piece is important because, you know, when, when you talk about accountability um, in, as part of a consequence management system, somebody with power and authority comes in, evaluates what you've done, almost assumes is an intention behind what happened. You know, they may not have hit your goals, but but the assumption is often almost like it's intentional that you didn't do that. Mm -hmm. They apply positive negative consequences, typically negative if you missed your numbers. 
And um, so you, you feel kind of like a, a victim from that process, right? And, and I think that's, that's the opposite of what accountability is because I'm, I'm looking at um, the external environment and I'm kind of assessing my, my results based upon things that I don't control. My boss, I don't control my boss. I don't control um, anything really other than the way I think and the way I act. And so accountability is really focusing in the areas of control I do have. And, and, and as Brian talks about free will choice, I can choose to do things. I can, I can choose not to do other things. And that choice creates my results in life. And, and it really is, is if I, if I blame others and I look at, look at the past and, and say, all these things happen to me and I can't, you know, it's, it's, I'm unfortunate. I can't do anything about that. I'm powerless because I can't change the past. I can't change other people and accountability. The way we look at it is, is because it's based on free will choice. Any moment I can turn everything all around just by making choices, given my degrees of freedom, right? You don't always have all the choices you like available to you in the moment, but given the degrees of freedom I do have, what are the best choices for me in terms of what I really want out of life? And that's a hugely empowering mindset. And as a leader, it's a completely different way of leading people, helping confronting people with their choices versus confronting people with their failures and hammering them or, or rewarding them as the case may be. Yeah, and yeah, much more engaging and empowering, I'm sure. Um, no, I totally agree with that. And I've just written, a, just bringing out a book called um, Falling to Grace, the Art and Science of Redemption is, is what happens when you're in bad situations, how do you deal with it? And it's really, I, I think, it's probably got a lot in common with your concept of accountability, because the first thing you have to do is accept and own up to your mistakes and accept exactly where you are and how you're going to make the best of it. Not sit and complain about how everyone's unfair because that is the worst thing that you can do. Even if they have been unfair, that's yeah. still not helpful, right? That's right. still not helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, Very tempting. Uh, hey, it's, well, it's the default setting. I really believe the default setting when some bad things happen to you, even if they're your fault, most people will or blame other people. And, you know, when I was in clinical practice and every felon that I interviewed, you know, it was, well, it's not my fault. It was my lawyer or the judge or the jury or my mate or somebody. Yeah, but you did rob the bank, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, people won't. They won't. And it's the, it's the default setting because you don't want to. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be too painful. I can't deal with it. But as soon as you own up and recognize what it is, and how am I going to make the best of it, which I think is probably the sort of thing that underpins your philosophy. Here you are. How are you going to do the best job possible, right? And take ownership of that. Totally different ballgame and off we go, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the questions here, and you, and you talk about the 12-week year, for example, is inevitably there's some issues here with time time management and the use of time um comments on that brian it's a big topic i know but um yeah so so you know we with the 12-week year there's five fundamental disciplines michael and i did invent them but time use is one of them obviously because if you're not controlling how you use your time you're not in control of your results but but one of the things that uh, I, I think people miss is there are some other things that need to be in place for you to be effective with your time and, you know, when we, when we do workshops, I was in one earlier this week and I asked them, what's the first thing you need to know to be effective with your time? And people say, well, how much time you have? I'd argue we all have the same, right? Till we, till we drop. Mm -hmm. Others will say, well, what, how you're using it. It's important. Not the first thing. Others will say, well, what, what's important? 
right? That that's high on the list. It's not the first. The first is what do you want? Which is really a vision question, which is why with the 12 week year, that's where we start. We start with personal vision, not business because business is part of life. But what do you want? The next question is what matters most. That's the planning question. The next question is, are you doing it? That's the execution question. The next question is, is it producing? That's the measurement question. So, and those happen to be the disciplines. So if you don't, if you don't have those things in place, it's really hard to be effective with your time. Yeah. Because what happens is apply techniques to be more effective. You get more efficient at the stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It's a really, a really, a really a good point. And I'm doing a book with uh, later right now is doing a book on, on like leading your best life. And, you know, she's got some really good questions in there. And it, it, it is interesting to me. I, I'm guessing that not many people ask themselves that question. You know, what do I want out of life? What would be my best life? How could I achieve that? And yeah, that, that's, that's what we're all about, right? From a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint, aligning the two. You know, we work in organizations, we do that work all the way down to part-timers because that's how you get uh, an employee base that's switched on, that's motivated, that's empowered, right? When they can connect the dots between succeeding in their role in that company and living the life they want to live, now there's purpose to what they're doing. Um, and, and, and that's where you know, this notion of uncommon accountability comes into play big time, right? Have I, have I taken the time to figure out what, Matt, what I want my life to look like? Have I, have I aligned my daily choices with that, right? Have I taken ownership of those actions or, or not? Am I looking outside myself? Is my thinking aligned with that? Or is my thinking flawed? You know, all, all of that stuff matters. I think, I think most of life is between the ears. <laughs> and, and so, you know, are, are we clear there? And, and are we focused there? That's unfortunate. <laughs> if it is between the ears, uh, Michael, you, I'm sure you got things to weigh in on there on time and and, and purpose. Yeah, I, th I think so. And Brian does a pretty good job of explaining. It. I love that the concept of what do you want is the first question you have to answer before you can decide how to spend your time. And I agree with that. I think um, saying yes to some things also means saying no to other things. Every yes carries with it a no. And, and I think one of the challenges for, for a lot of people is they feel like they have way too much to do to pursue what's really important in life. They feel like their plate's too full. But um, if you can't say no, your yes becomes meaningless. And, and so one of the challenges a lot of people have is, is, is having the courage to, to stop and, and, and let some things go that, that aren't related to what you want in life. And not that they're bad, it's just they're not tied to, tied to your ultimate goals. And you may in the moment not be able to do that. You may be in a, in a role which doesn't let you do that, but then it's up to you to decide, how do I change my role? How do I, how do I get to a place where I can have more time control and things like that? So you just have to start from where you are. That's the bad news. You got to start from where you are. I'd rather start from the end, but, but you don't get to do that. So. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and the, that boundaries issue is, is a big one. It really is because people, I mean, boundaries on yourself too. You know, uh, if you can't set boundaries on yourself, you're certainly not going to do it on other people and maybe vice versa. And, you know, if you spend two hours, first two hours of the day, you know, on Facebook, uh, you've just wasted a heck of a lot of time and energy. Um, and so you got to put that boundaries on you as well as other people. It doesn't mean you don't like them. It doesn't mean you don't support them. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It means that is not right now consistent with your major goals, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people do various people find that hard to do. Um, 
And, and, and you know, I think it's to do with the way you're raised, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think a lot of it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have a difficult time saying no, like my wife Judy, and she'll admit that that's that's one of her challenges. And because when she says no, she thinks she's telling people she doesn't love them, right. which is all from her upbringing. And right. and even though she's aware of it, it's still a challenge for her, and she's got to be conscious of it because she ends up overcommitted. Yep. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I was raised like that. I I felt that I was you know, somebody who would go way overboard to help people. And I knew that Even yeah. as I became a psychologist, I knew it, but changing it was something else. And I remember one time I uh, was talking with a, an alcoholic that I was treating and his boss. And I said, look, this is, here's, here's what you have to do, blah, blah, blah. And the boss said, Oh boy, you're being really hard on him. And I thought, yes, Finally, <laughs> I've been able to put that <laughs> line down. Breakthrough. <laughs> Breakthrough, you know. Yeah. Um, so I know what that's like. And it is hard for people. Saying no does, as, does not mean you don't care for them, love them, support them. It's about where your priorities are at this moment. And yeah. Yeah. for so, so many people, that's hard. It is. And, and the, the thing with, with um, you know, business execution and doing things that you want to get done in business, we're not asking you to spend all of your time, you know, completely putting up the brick walls and not letting people in and other things and opportunities arise. But, but for a period of time every week, however much you need, you're going to isolate yourself from those interruptions. You're going to say no for this time. And that's the time you protect to be working on the important stuff, which is typically the stuff that gets crowded out by urgent and emergent things that pop up, right? So just having the discipline to put some walls around some key time, you don't have to do it for all your time, but some key time every week we find is, is pretty effective. So you don't you have to say no to everybody all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. But for a certain time, you do say no to everybody. Yeah. And, and then having, like you said, having boundaries, right? What, what are my work hours? Right. Especially with with COVID and people working at home, man, that it's like the, the the work life home life have morphed, and people are spending way more time working with this with this notion that somehow I'm going to get it all done, and they never will because there's always more to do than you have time to do it. And until you acknowledge that, you can easily become the hamster on the wheel, and you're just working, 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 and typically not on the meaningful stuff, just on the busy stuff that comes at you, you're exhausted, you're mentally, emotionally worn out, and you're not moving the needle. So, you know, oftentimes when you take that, that ownership, that accountability, say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to limit the number of hours I work. Sometimes that's the impetus to cause me to work differently, right? To really begin to assess, well, then what, what do I want? And what really matters? Because not all tactics, not all actions um, yield the same fruit. And, and so being very clear on that, that's, that's one of the disciplines in the 12 week year around planning is really understanding the critical few that matter because to increase your success, isn't about working harder or longer or doing more. It's about working different and, and being more consistent with the things that really matter, not perfect, but just more consistent. Brian, do you think sometimes um, those claims of, of all the work I have to do are kind of a defense against the action in the sense that I, I claim that I'm so busy because there's certain things that I, I know I should do or could do or, or, or would be good to do, but for some reason I'm avoiding them, right? So I've got, I've got an excuse. I've got, I've got my emails. I'm going through my voicemails. I'm going through my follow-ups, my to-do list. All that stuff can just fill up all your time. And, and sometimes people are, are not being honest with themselves about 
the time they could spend on the other stuff. They're pretending not to have the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, I love that, Michael, because it's, it's true, right? I mean, I use, I use the, the busyness as avoidance to right, not do the things that are uncomfortable for me, but the things that are really going to drive my success. And I, I tell myself, I'll get to that stuff later. Yeah, yeah. I'm busy. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Certainly, the you know move to more remote work, working from home. I've been working from home for almost ten years, and you know it took me a while to to work that out. But you know there is some flexibility there, and you know I look at I got 168 hours in a week. You know, okay, some of it I'm going to be sleeping, but hey, you know. I need to make time for the things that are important. So time to, you know, exercise, all right, time for social, and then my best times for work. And I know right. what my best times for work are in terms of creativity or times when, yeah, I'm not so creative. I can do some of the busy work then. Um, but you have to address that and not wing it because otherwise you're going to go, you're going to end up investing too much time in the things that don't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of taking ownership. It's taking ownership of the situation and the and the circumstances, as well as the choices I have around it, and you know, organizing my day, my week, so it's productive, as opposed to being the victim to, well, you know, I just never got to that because everything else, everybody else needed me, which is kind of what Michael was saying, right? I, mm-hmm. I use as an excuse to not do the, the uncomfortable things, um, and I'm and I'm happy to use it as an excuse, so. But that's that's a that's a victim mindset versus an accountable mindset. Yeah, I'm really impressed when I run across people who clearly do that. You know, they say, "Well, good, we'll have a conversation about this." But now I've got to go do this, <laughs> um, and you know, I just clearly have worked out what is important, when their time for that is, and when their time for other thing is. It's very impressive. It's very impressive because. As you say, they've taken ownership. They've taken ownership and they've thought about it and they've planned it and they've executed it. Yeah. Now, one of the great benefits of that is it reduces stress. <laughs> you know, when you're chasing your tail, it's stressful and you're not getting, you, you know, intuitively, you know, you're not getting to the stuff that really matters. And so that's hanging over you, over your head the entire time and you never get it knocked down um, is just really stressful and emotionally exhausting. You know, that's a great point, Brian. We um, we used to do trainings together a number of years ago, and we do a two-day training event. And so half the time, Brian was up in front of the room, and the other half, I was in the back of the room. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> we were both up in the front of the room half the time. There we go. I can't do the math anymore. Getting old. Anyway, um, so, you know, I, I, when I'm in the back of the room, I can't be anywhere else but in the room. Right. Cause I'm there and I'm paying attention to what's going on. But at the same time, I have all this time to, to, to think about things and write stuff down. And I've got this just gobs of time to be strategic in my thinking. And I'm always aware of the fact that, you know, I could do this anytime and I could do, I could have this time anytime because I've, I've taken two days, I've carved it out. I'm not, no other obligations, nothing else is on my plate. And it's easy to do that, but it's also even easier not to do that. And, um, you know, we all can do it if we, if we want to in certain circumstances but we very rarely do it intentionally, you know, as often as we should. And I, and I, the other part of this is Brian's much better with this than I am. So I think there's, I, I argued this anyway, because, because I'm not on the same place Brian's is necessarily, but I think there's a continuum. I think, I think all of us are, are in some ways, you know, in better control of certain aspects of our time and, and not so much in other areas. And I think that's, so don't beat yourself up if you, if you mess up 
a little bit, right? It's it's about the, the trajectory you're on in terms of, of learning how to manage your time effectively. Yeah, yeah that's important. I'd say expect to stumble because <laughs> you're yeah. going to. It's not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. And, um, you know, what you'll find, though, is when, when you own something, you tend to deliver on it because you'll, you'll find ways to, to make it happen versus if, if the goal you have is your boss's goal, good luck with that. Until you take ownership, right? All your energies can be spent on why that's not right for you, how your territory is different or whatever it is. When you take ownership, it doesn't mean, doesn't guarantee you're going to, you know, get the outcomes you want, but it does guarantee you're going to bring the best of what you have to producing those outcomes. And that's the key to living your best life. Yeah, well said, well stated. Yeah. What about the issue of creativity? Um, because I find that an interesting one because it tends to be a lot more vague in terms of, well, how do I be creative? Do I just goof off and think about something or how, you know, how do I do that? Um, maybe you get that question a lot. Well, how can I be intentionally creative and disciplined at the same time? <laughs> Yeah, I I can jump on that. I'll give my thoughts first. Mike's probably got some additional thoughts. I mean, the the truth is creativity without structure is chaos. And so creators, their very nature is to avoid that structure. And yet that's the very thing that helps make that creativity really productive and powerful. So when you add a little bit of structure to creativity, now you've got something that's super powerful. Without it, you've got chaos. And and so, you know, it is kind of the yin and yang there for a lot of us, right? Our, Our strengths can become our weaknesses taken to a certain level. And so how do we counterbalance that? And, you know, for creatives, it's the notion that structure seems confining. It seems restricting when it actually is really freeing. So, so if we go back to time use, right, carving out time to be creative, but also carving out time to do things, the other things that I need to do too, because, you know, if, if I'm creative and I'm, I'm doing something I like, I could spend all day, my tongue's hanging out, right? It's kind of like that. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and meanwhile, the world's falling around around me, falling apart around me. So, so, you know, you need to add some structure to that. And that's when the creativity really becomes impactful and, and as I said, powerful. Mike, I'm sure you have additional thoughts. Yeah, I think one of the things that's unique about us, Brian, um, is that we've worked together for a long time. And so when we create content, and I think we talk about this a lot, that we, we kind of do good content together. Um, we have, we schedule time and we'll, we'll schedule the time of the calendar. It'll be in our calendar. You know, we'll, we'll do it ahead of time and we'll lay out the, the time blocks we've got available. And then we'll get together and we'll talk about the topic. And usually a couple of, couple of sessions like that, and we'll build a new concept out or we'll, we'll, we'll create a training module or whatever. And so we work together. That's a little bit, I think of an unfair advantage, but, mm-hmm. but what I find is that, you know, doing it with a partner like that, it kind of makes us both more creative. I'll, we argue really well. Brian and I argue really well. And neither one of us is going to give up if we think we're right. And I don't mean that we have to be right. But if we think something's one way and the other person doesn't, we've got to get to the bottom of that if we're going to create a training on it, right? So so we we come up with a lot of, of, of clarity and we come up with a lot of creativity when we work together like that. So I recommend having a creativity partner if, if you can find somebody um, you know, that, that matches with you like we do. But, but I think the other thing is, is that when you write a book, like which we just finished, um, you carve out time and, you know, sometimes your head's just not in the place it, it it's needs to be sometimes to be the most creative when you're, when you're working on your own. Um, and so 
this is something I, I know I don't always do it as well as I could, but having, having a goal to get a certain amount of something done and not make it perfect yet. Right. So, so I have a tendency to want to rewrite it until it's perfect in the midst of creating it. And that's almost impossible to do. I've got to be willing to let it set the way it is and then come back to it. Cause I think somebody once told me that, that you, there's no such thing as good writing. There's good editing. You, you write and then you edit and you edit and you edit. And at the end of that, you've got good writing. Right. So that's, that's creativity is something that, that, um, Sometimes it's a little bit of work. It's not as much fun yeah. sometimes as people think. Yeah, and I, I you know, and I, I do a fair amount of um, ghostwriting and helping authors with books. And you're exactly right. Um, the first thing is you, you don't wait till it's perfect because it's never going to be perfect, and you'd be waiting for ten years. And and indeed, that's what some people say. I've been trying to write this book for the last twelve years. Yeah, you got to start. Once you put it down, then you got something to look at and stimulate you and change and so forth. And it is about editing and it's an organic process. I think that the creative process is like that. You're not looking to get the magical answer by, you know, sitting there meditating, although you might, it's, it's an idea. And then that idea needs to be subject to the sort of, I'm sure, discussion you guys have when you're talking about an idea and putting the structure around it and bringing it into a, a life, a reality, rather than just something vague. And certainly people have difficulty with that. Uh, I know from my own experience helping people. And, you know, writing is not sitting down or waiting to have the inspiration. It's saying, okay, I'm going to set two hours aside, <laughs> you know, every day, you know, from nine to 11 or whatever it is, and I'm going to write whatever I can, and then we're going to review it and see how well you've done. That's the only way you do it. And we, yeah, it's, we, uh, there's a concept we talk about <laughs> separating starting from finishing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so blocking yeah. out time to write, whether I write a paragraph or I write six pages, who cares? You know, Hemingway wrote every morning. Yep. He, would, he would get up and he'd write till noon, then he'd take the rest of the day off and with the family and stuff like that. And so he had structure to his creativity, which allowed him to produce some amazing works. And I don't know. I don't think he put a lot of pressure on himself of how much he was going to write any given morning. He just knew he was going to write. And, and so that process, um, you know, that, that's a great example of adding structure to creativity to come up. Right. And, and as you were alluding to most ideas, when you first have them, aren't, aren't fully formed. They're not, they're not plus, plus, plus in every category. And so they're flawed to some degree. And so you got to get them out. You got to start working with them. You got to tweak them. You got to be willing to do that writing's the same way, but anything for, um, whether, whether you think yourself creative or not, we're all creative if you tap into it. And so being willing to just sit with it and see what comes out and recognizing that it's going to be imperfect, very imperfect version 1.0. That's okay. You have to get to 1.0 before you get to 2.0 and 3.0. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've done that. I've written books and I thought, okay, well, that's the final draft, you know, and, you know, it's scheduled for publishing in three months. And in those three months, I, <laughs> I had an edit, all sorts of stuff that I thought I didn't need to do. I mean, so, I mean, you know, you can take that to a point of absurdity, but yeah. it's an organic, creativity is an organic process. And as you rightly say, if you don't have structure, <laughs> you could be wasting a lot of time. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. So if we were giving advice to individuals, the listeners here, about how they could maximize their time and accountability, uh, 
what, apart from reading your books, of course, which we would recommend they do, and we'll tell them how to find that in a minute, what, what, are the, what are the basic ground rules for starting out that effort? I, Mike, I, I don't care. Um, oh, so, okay. well, I can go for it. We've been going yeah, please, Mike, so yeah, yeah. for <laughs> yeah, Go ahead, Michael. You go, you go first, and then I'll jump on. So, you, um, so I, I don't know if I'm going to go down the path that you're going to go down, Brian, but um, okay. I, think, I think with accountability, we have, I think most people have an intuitive sense of what accountability is. I think they, they understand that. You go to the dictionary and you see that it's defined as, um, in many cases, is, is the, the definition examples are where people have failed to do something. They drop the ball, something bad has happened. And then somebody with greater power than the performer comes in and applies consequences, typically negative consequences to the behavior. So it's clearly a punishment system for failure so that you stop failing, right? Um, but they intuitively know accountability, as Brian said early on, they know it's different than that. And I think um, when we think about accountability, what, what it really means, if we, if we dig into that, um, what we can be accountable for is not our results. I mean, we, we can we have influence our results, and and you know we we can contribute to our results. But what we control is the way that we think and the way we behave. Those are the two things. And, and controlling your thinking is sometimes difficult. But but you have free will choice. You can choose to do this, or you can choose to do the other thing. And so, really being clear on the degrees of freedom you have around thinking and actions, and and then your situation. So it's it's what do you want? As Brian said before. Um, being clear on what the control points you have, if you're thinking your actions to get what you want, and then begin to, to make decisions and assess your decisions, and then evaluate your results in the context of what you want. So you may have certain beliefs that are correct, and others may not be correct. You may behave in a certain way that's effective or not effective. So you pay attention, or you take ownership of, of the results because you've taken the actions to get them, and adjust, right? So so it's 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 just a mindset, I think, of 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 paying attention to how you think and how you act and paying attention to what the world tells you about how, what you're doing and adjust on the fly. It's that simple. Um, and, and not getting caught up. It's everybody, everybody has things that happens to them that, that are bad. And, and some people are truly victimized. We, we, in our book, we talk about that. Some people are, 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 are victimized by other people and it affects them deeply. And there's a victim syndrome. That's a real thing. And, and we're not saying that isn't real, but um, you don't really control any of that. And if you want to change your circumstance, you know, it, it, nobody else is going to do it for you. You've got to change your own. And, and it's just the realization bad things do happen, but, but you have control over, you know, how you engage with that and, and what happens at the end of the day. So it's a long rambling answer to pay attention and, and make good choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Victor Frankl said, you know, all sorts of things can happen to us, but no one can take away. The one thing that's most powerful is how we choose to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's true. Brian, any, thoughts on this? yeah very very similar i mean the first the first thing is just shift your thinking right i love your podcast how not to think so you know we've been trained that way it's not bad and evil but it's it's not productive and so begin to shift your thinking understand accountability as choice the fact that we always have choice as michael said you might not like the choices you know here in the states on april 15th you can pay your taxes or go to prison <laughs> i don't like either one of those but you have choice. And so recognizing that choice and taking ownership of those choices in your relationships, in your business, in, in your health, in your finances, all of that will, will produce the best life you're capable of. And it's not going to be perfect and it's going to be messy at times. Um, and it's not, it's not easy because 
when we when we're accountable, uncommon accountability means I'm going to pay a price in the moment, right? I'm going to choose the discomfort to be, you know, to look at my choices and the impact they had versus the victim mindset is really easy. It's easy in the moment. It's convenient. It's not my fault. I don't have to change. But the long-term ramifications of that are brutal. And so, you know, first would be embrace the notion of, of accountability as ownership. Forget about the, con- in the end, we choose our consequences, right? And then, and then recognize that as you begin to make more productive choices, it, it, it will be challenging in the moment, but the payoff longer term is huge. And as you start to do that, then those payoffs start to build one on top of another, on top of another. And, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, when you understand accountability for what it is, honestly, I think it's probably the most, most empowering concept you have to live the life you want to live. And so that's what the book's about. Uncommon accountability, be uncommon, change your thinking, change your choices, you know, be uncommon. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's outstanding. I really do. Um, because we are, we, you know, whether we like it or not, we're all accountable to the things we do for the things we do, the life we have, um, you know, life's not fair bad things happen to people, but it's still about how do you respond? Right. What do you do? How do you organize yourself? That's what it's about. And so really what you're talking about here is, you know, we might be talking about business, but it's really the core of every human activity Mm -hmm. in a way, isn't it? Of of maximizing your potential and, and take and making the decision to do that. Every day, every day. (laughs) As you begin to learn this, you know, you find Mm. that you you tend to slay the big dragons first, but there's always these little ones that crop in and and it's still, it's still challenging for Michael and I on a day-to-day basis because it's just easier to be the victim and society really reinforces that today. So you got to be one of those things. You got to be mindful and vigilant with it. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely 100% correct. I totally uh, uh, agree with you completely. And Unfortunately, society does reinforce that. Uh, and it's the worst thing you can do for somebody, independent of what's happened to them. As we say, bad things, terrible things happen to people. Yeah. But it's not adaptive to take that victim mindset. The only person who's going to get control of this and change it is you. Right. And you have to accept that. And that's where the accountability comes in. You know, yeah. it's, it's so what you're talking about you know, isn't just about business, although you may have written it specifically for a business audience. It's for everybody. It's for everybody taking, making the best of their lives, deciding what they want and committing themselves to it. Not just complaining if it doesn't happen, not just hoping it'll happen, but actually committing oneself to it intelligently through the points that you made and are in uncommon accountability. Yeah. Outstanding stuff, gentlemen. It's really good. So uncommon accountability, people can find that on Amazon or, you know, where Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it at uncommonaccountability.com. You can get it at 12weekyear.com, uh, any of your bookstores, that kind of thing. Okay. And in terms of people want to reach out specifically to you as individuals, um, is there a is there a specific place? This will be in the show notes, but um, yep. what we have? 
Yeah. Probably the easiest is um, 12weekyear.com or info at 12weekyear.com. The digits one, two weekyear.com. Okay. Probably the easiest. Yeah. Okay. And that's why they can reach either of you, right? Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. This has been really excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, very important ideas, as I say, not just for business, but as a mindset for everybody. So keep up the great work and um, really appreciate your time today. So I know it's valuable. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having thank us. You. Enjoyed yeah, it. Great.